Welcome to Gateway Community Church, Webster, Texas. We're so glad you found us, and we hope this message helps you discover more about God and His unique plan for your life. All right. Good morning, everyone. My name is Brandon Dietz, and I'm the director of worship here at Gateway Community Church. Uh, On any any given Sunday, I'm usually walking off the stage, but this Sunday, I am walking on the stage. What the heck is going on? Yeah. I've been asked to preach for the first time on a Sunday morning. Hey, thank you all very much. We have a a church full of kind and wonderful people. Thank you all. Um, Yeah, I I do want to say thank you to to Randy. In a lot of ways, I mean, I'm excited and I'm I'm nervous, but I feel a great sense of gratitude because he asked me to do this. I know that he takes the role and responsibility of preaching very seriously. Um, He doesn't see this as his spot, so to speak. Um, but he sees what he does every week as being in dialogue with you. And by him asking me to come and be a part of this, it's like he's, he's asked me to pull up a chair and sit at the table and be a part of that conversation. The feeling is a lot like um, when you're, you're young and you're invited to finally sit at the grown-up table. You know what I'm talking about? And you're thinking, don't screw this up. And so that's the feeling that is coursing through my body right now. I, I love seeing our, our seniors. I'm thinking back to that moment when I was there, and uh, I was really impressed by the number of pre-med. Did you guys notice that? We have a lot of them that are pre-med. I want to give a word of caution. I was pre-med when I started, so be careful. If you're interested in saving lives, you might end up working in a church. So uh, it's a wonderful thing. So, all right. I do want to tell a story from my college days, in fact. Uh, I was an undergrad at the University of Houston. I love that school. Go Cougs. And I was walking in between classes outdoors when the most peculiar thing happened. I looked up, and when I looked up, what I saw was something that was vaguely familiar. I saw the bottoms of treetops, and I saw lampposts and birds exploring the great blue expanse above me, and I say that it was vaguely familiar because something about the feeling was almost nostalgic. I realized in that moment that I hadn't looked up with marvel and wonder since I was a kid. And being the philosophical college student that I was at the time, I thought, well, maybe there's something to this. Maybe there's a reason for that. So I began to dissect it. And I thought, okay, so, you know, as we're kids, our entire world is up. Everything that we want to learn about, the people that are caring for us, all of those delightfully tempting, wonderful things that have been locked away in the upper cabinets exist on this whole realm of up. I'm getting to watch that with my one-year-old, Elliot. He is obsessed with anything that is on top of a counter or a tabletop. Can anybody relate to that? The thing where you don't realize how long his arms, yes, how long his arms are, and he starts grabbing things, and a whole slew of things start coming off of the table, and you do the whoa kind of deal. Lately, what he does is he'll come up and he'll start tugging my leg, and, and I'll go to pick him up. I see these big, beautiful brown eyes, and I'm like, oh, this is such a good feeling. He just wants to be held, and he wants the affection, and I hope this never goes away. And before I can finish that thought, he goes, eh, and points me to the direction that he would like me to take him. I think maybe there's some sense of affection there, but really what he wants to do is use me as his main mode of transportation so he can explore his own world of up. If we continue on this thought, Uh, We get a little bit older, maybe we approach our teenage years and and early 20s, and our view goes from up here to leveling out. This makes sense because when we get to about that age, we're really focused on what's just over the horizon. We are eyes locked on what we want to do. We met somebody, they're it, they're the one. Um, We're not really looking up anymore because, well, at that point, we know everything of any importance in the world, so there's no reason to, right? Or so we think. 
We don't look down anymore because we've been there and done that, and it's not like there's anything that's going to trip us up. We, uh, we get older, we do find that we can trip and fall. Maybe we become a little more conservative and we start watching where we're going some so our gaze drops to just below the horizon. Maybe we get to where we're going to settle in. Not to say by any means that we're done, but we start getting responsibilities. Our, our focus kind of goes here. We have this circle. As a 34-year-old, I'm a homeowner, uh, an employee, father, husband, uh, finishing up being a student at Fuller Theological. I've got a, a wealth of responsibilities. And I can say that it's hard for me to come out of this a lot of times. And I think what's interesting is that I look back at that epiphany that I had as a philosophical college student. And I found on this end, or at least at this stage, that it's somewhat true in my life. And maybe there's something about it that rings true with you. Nevertheless, we find ourselves sitting next to one another in church, confronted by a gospel that calls us to be both vertical and horizontal. That is, vertical in worship and prayer and dialogue and reading God's scripture, and horizontal as we're in fellowship and communion, community, and servanthood with one another. We're going to be talking about some of those things today. We're going to talk about this being a community that is vertical and horizontal, we're in the second week of our series called What Do I Do When, where a number of you have asked the questions, what do I do when, fill in the blank. The one that I've chosen for today is what do I do when someone is leaning on me for support, but I don't feel like I can carry their burden. The second part is one that I, I like the most, what if I just don't want to? Because I think all of us can relate to that experience, right? What if I just don't want to? I mean, there's a lot of things that we just kind of say, oh, not my cup of tea. We're going to explore that. When I first looked at that question, I thought, burdens. Galatians, that verse about carrying each other's burdens. If you had the same thought, congratulations, you win with me. Uh, we're going to go to Galatians chapter 6. We're going to look at verses 1 through 10. So if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and, and go there now. If your Bible is in digital form, then ready your devices. In the meantime, I'm going to give us some context as to um, what is going on when we are looking at this. We know from Acts that Paul has been going around, and he's been planning all of these churches. Galatia is in Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, and um, I'm assuming that in the beginning, things went pretty well. Um, we see what the Acts community looks like. It sounds like a wonderful thing, but before long, the theology starts to tilt a little bit, as theology can do sometimes when it's not in check. The Pharisees come in and begin to influence it and take it in a different direction, and Paul hears about it and then responds back with a letter. And he, he comes back against this and reminds them of what the gospel of Christ really talks about. Some important other things to notice in the context is that, and this may seem super obvious, but there was no New Testament. For the early church, uh, you know, we think maybe the, the gospel of Mark was around at that time, but otherwise there was no Bible that we knew of for them to open. In fact, the only Bible they really had access to was the same Bible that Jesus used, which is the Hebrew Bible. The church that they went to, they, they kind of organized Religious observance was the synagogue. That was the same place that Jesus went. Uh, we didn't have Judaism and Christianity as kind of these two separate but overlapping spheres. We see more that uh, Christianity was kind of a reformed branch of Judaism to the point that the Greeks looked at Christianity as a sect of Judaism. And so there's a lot of kind of coming together here in situations where we can get, um, again, some of that influence coming back in. The... I guess one thing to note in particular is in Acts chapter 15, verse 5, we actually see where some of this Pharisaic 
that's a word, agenda comes in where it says, then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised to keep the law of Moses. Did you catch that? There are Pharisees who were Christians, but they're muddling up law and Christianity, something that that Paul, um, again, comes back to. So by the time we get to chapter 6 in Galatians, uh, he is kind of encouraging them, and he's touching back on some points that he's covered, and uh, we begin with verse 1 that says, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you may also be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. Now, there are two key words that I want to look at here that have to do with weight, the the load or the burden that we might carry. Uh, I'm going to call it zeroing the scale, okay? When I see two words like this in the English that share a common concept, the immediate thing that I want to do is go back to the Greek and see if there is, in fact, uh, a representation of these two things with two specific Greek words. Depending on the English translation that you're reading, this is just kind of some info, uh, it may have been written in a way that communicates that one thing or another. For example, the NRSV version is more true to the letter of the text. It tries to get word for word as much as possible. Something like the message, it gets more to the spirit of the text. It tries to relay everything in a conversational and fruitful way. No one is better than the other. They just kind of have different purposes. The NRSV is more seen for kind of devotional uh, English study, or not devotional, but more of kind of a scholarly English study, and the other one is more for devotional reading. Uh, Both great. The NIV, we find, is somewhere in the middle. When we go back to the Greek, we do see, in fact, that there are two words. The first one is baris, which we see in verse 2, and that's burdens. And the second one is fortune, which is uh, the word that's used for load. We'll start with that one because uh, maybe it's a little bit quicker to explain. Does the word fortune sound like anything to you in our English? My wife suggested fortune. That wasn't it. Um, But it was a good suggestion, Jenny. It sounds like portion. If you're looking at it, it kind of has this. And that's exactly what that is. The portion weight is is the stuff that we just carry from day to day. It's our load. It's our freight. It's the stuff that's non-transferable. That's a big thing about it. It's just, it's our life, our our faith, and and what we have to deal with. Burden, on the other hand, is a much more vivid expression of weight. It is an oppressive weight. It has a lot. It's used a lot with regard to temptation, but it's not necessarily always a bad weight. When we, if you're familiar with the phrase, the weight of glory, C.S. Lewis wrote a book called The Weight of Glory. He's borrowing that from 2 Corinthians 4.17. The word that's used for weight and the weight of glory is baris, the oppressive weight. And the idea is that weight is so big that it would max out the scales. There is no possible way that the weight of God's eternal glory would, have, would, would land on you and you wouldn't be just completely affected by it. We can't just go on with life as normal. So... Moving on, the reason that we want to clarify these things is because I believe that we have a little bit of a a temptation to muddle these things up. And uh, to give an example, my wife worked at Starbucks uh, some years back, and she would tell these stories about how, you know, somebody was coming through, and they got a cup of coffee, and something was wrong about it, and, I mean, they flipped their lid. They literally could not go about their day because their cup of coffee was botched. I don't know if anybody here can relate to that. The, The funny thing is I had written this, and then I got a screwed up cup of coffee, and it was like, eat it. And so I nicely, I went back and said, hey, can I? Because they have that, that policy. Um, but, you know, that's something that's more of an annoyance. That's just part of the day. That's kind of our load, so to speak. Things happen. That's not a burden. 
There are things that we shouldn't take and blow up into um, grand proportions. On the other hand, I think we're also guilty of having a burden, something that is sucking the life out of us. It's paralyzed us. It may be addiction, depression, finances, whatever it is, and we're treating it as if it's just something. Like, oh, we're just in a season. It'll pass. I got this. When the reality is there is an elephant in the room and it's sitting on you. It's important that we don't mix these two up. Let's talk about how this verse addresses our question. When we look at verse 2, specifically, we might think, oh, well, it says, you know, carry one another's burdens, and in this way you'll fulfill the law of Christ. And you might think, well, what is the law of Christ? That's a good question. This is rhetoric that Paul is using to remind his readers that freedom from the law of Moses is not freedom from total responsibility. He's getting this from John 13, 34, which says, and these are Jesus' words, I give you a new commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you, you should also love one another. Paul actually mentions this in chapter 5. He says, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. While it seems clear here that we do have the responsibility of, of, of carrying each other's burdens, we're not to do it willy-nilly without kind of looking at it. We can't just go in blind because Paul clearly gives us a warning here. Evidently, the people of Galatia struggled with some pride and, and with comparing themselves to one another. Not things that we struggle with today, right? None of us deal with that? I don't either. Good. I'm glad to hear that. Just kidding. Um, Paul is making it clear that, um, that we need to test ourselves. He says that in verse 4. And, and the best way, I think, to explain testing ourselves, this is a quote, and I loved it. It is a self-examination where we submit our thoughts, attitudes, and actions to the will and to the mind of Christ revealed in Holy Scripture. This is something, this idea of carrying somebody's burden, it's something that will require some discernment, okay? Some internal digging. So I want to take a little break here and just consider some of the things in our context that we might run into as things that need to be brought before God. Um, and I've written these out as kind of a handy acronym, as in BEAR, B-E-A-R, bear one another's burdens. The first one is boundaries. And this is all just kind of from personal experience. I've been in ministry for quite some time, and I've come across a lot of these things. B stands for boundaries. Um, when we're taking on the weight, when we're carrying stuff like this, sometimes we'll see situations where there's some codependency issues or um, other things that are toxic that are happening where there's blurred lines. And, and you can't establish any kind of care a relationship because you don't have anything to go on. It's just this constant demand. Another thing that we have to watch out for, and this is especially true of ministers everywhere, is um, carrying the burden of somebody of the opposite sex outside of marriage, you know? So Jenny can lean on me all she wants to, and I'm there for her, but if somebody else comes up, another woman, and wants, to, wants me to go through the thick of it with them, I'm, I'm going to defer them to somebody else. Because when you, when you go through something like that together, there's a sense of intimacy that happens, and that can set you up for moral, moral failure down the road. Jenny shared this with me. I was talking to her about burdens. She's a therapist, so she knows some stuff. I'm proud of her. Uh, she said, boundaries aren't just about keeping things out. They're about actually protecting what's on the inside. So when we're looking at these burdens and, and this opportunity, we need to look at boundaries. We also need to look at, and this is related to boundaries in a way, we need to look at our expertise. It may be the case that, that, that somebody's coming to you with something that, is, that requires professional help. It's beyond us. And I've been in situations, again, throughout ministry where I've come dangerously close to hurting somebody because I thought I could, I could handle it. 
they might have needed a counselor, they might have needed to go somewhere, and I was trying to be the guy, and um, I really could have screwed things up big time. And so we have to ask that question. Maybe the best thing for us to do is to work with them in getting help. The next thing is avoidance. Maybe we're familiar with the feeling or the person who goes around and wants to solve everybody else's problems, but their house is on fire, you know? This sense of going around and fixing things and carrying people's burdens, this is just an excuse to not have to face what we're going through. I think it's a very natural and easy thing to do. I know that for me personally, it's way easier to solve a problem, to look at something else, than it is to live in my own muck and try to figure out what needs to happen in my life. But if I go about helping people as a result of getting away from those things, man, I, I, gotta, I gotta hear a word back. I gotta be put in check on that. So we take that to God in discernment. And finally, relapse. There, man, it very well could be the case that you might have been going through something and this person wants to come and lean on you because you have kind of experienced some of it, but we have to be aware of whether or not that's gonna drag us back down into the pit. We also have the unfortunate circumstance where you might be doing good and there's a group of people around you that wanna pull you back down. They don't like it, you know, because if you're doing good, that means they have to do good. So whoop, back under you go. Again, these are all just a couple of things from my personal experience. But I believe that we, uh, that we approach God with them. We go to prayer. We read scripture. And another thing that we can do is go to a pastor. I want to encourage you to come to, to one of us. Tom Lewis is a great resource. He's had, you know, schooling and counseling and therapy, and he's also a minister. Randy's great at this. Any number of us ministry leaders would be happy to at least sit down and share what we know. The value of this is that we've been through it. And we might be able to listen to you and say, ah, I've been there, man. That's going to be a rough situation. There's got to be a different way to do this. But rather than think that it's a simple yes or no answer, I would like to provide a third option. And for that, I want us to look at um, Galatians 6, 6 through 10, the remainder of this verse. Now, there's a few things that I'm going to touch on as we go through it. But the meat of what we want to get to is in 9 or 10. So it says in 6, Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. This just continues some of Paul's protest against the uh, Pharisees and some of their antics. Depending on what version you're reading, this verse might be lumped up in 1 through 5. It may be on its own, and it may be in 7 through 10. Um, we've seen Paul kind of talk some about the way that you take care of the people that are teaching you and things like that. Um, much like seven and eight, if we were going into more of the relationship with the Gentiles and the Pharisees and stuff, we would dissect this a little bit more. Uh, but we'll look at seven and eight. It says, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. And this is a central conviction of Paul's. It's not necessarily the what that we do, it's the why behind what we're, what we're doing. And that's what he's addressing here. Uh, a lot of it, the issue, again, like I mentioned before, was some people were doing things with the wrong motives. Maybe they were trying to look good or whatever. And uh, we're reminded to go back again to verse four and, and to test our motives, to um, test ourselves, our internal thoughts on that. Finally, verse nine here gets into, I think, what answers the second half of the question, which is, what if I just don't want to? And it says, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap harvest if we do not give up. This is a great word of encouragement because when Paul says this, I get the sense that not wanting to is, is not only normal, it's, it's expected. But unfortunately, that shouldn't guide us. 
But take heart, because Jesus felt the same thing. If you recall, when he was praying at the Mount of Olives before he was to be crucified in Luke 22, he says, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. Like Jesus, we can be honest about where we're at, and we can go to the Lord with that. That's something that we all need to do. Nobody's saying that we have to just suck it up and go forward. You see this often in the Psalms. And, and just an aside, David in the Old Testament, something that sets him apart from anybody else, I think, is that even though he screwed up royally, and literally royally because he was a king, um, yeah, I said that first service and they thought it was funny, so I thought I'd say it again. Uh, <laughs> he had this, this sense of repentance, right? Whatever he was doing, even if he screwed up, he realized where he was. He never lost track of his compass completely. He always oriented himself back to God and said, you know what? Either I've screwed up and forgive me, or your will, whatever it is. I don't want to do this, and I feel these things coming against me, but God, I give it to you. And so that's what we're called to do in this when we feel like we just don't want to. Finally, and this is where I want to lean in, verse 10 says, Therefore, as we have the opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers. Notice the abundance of inclusive language here. Do you think that Paul is trying to tell us something, that maybe we're in this together? Let's look again at our original question. What do I do when someone is leaning on me for support and I don't feel like I can carry their burden? I submit to you that this isn't necessarily just an I or a me thing, but it is a we thing. And I want to illustrate this with a personal story, and it's a very, very personal story. So I want to do what I can to make it through. A lot of you know that my wife and I were called to go and serve in a trafficking ministry in College Station. Um, we put our house up for rent. We left our jobs, our communities. Y'all prayed for us. We were sent out. It was a beautiful moment. And there was a lot about that that was really, really good, but man, there was a lot about it that was actually really, really bad and really destructive. And I refrained, and I, and I will continue to refrain from going into nitty-gritty details in a public platform. I am always open to share things with you from my experience in personal one-on-one -on -one discussion. Uh, but there are real lives attached to that situation, and I want to respect that. But in short, we were essentially, in a, in a relatively short time, we were overworked, spiritually exhausted, and losing our minds within a relatively short period of time. Eventually, we found out that we were pregnant, which was exciting for us. It was worrisome in some ways because of just the nature of where we were, the situation, and what was going on there. Um, but we found this sense of hope. But ultimately, everything that we were going through, all of that pressure and exhaustion, it took a toll on the pregnancy. We found out we were losing the baby. We were devastated. This was around Christmas time. We came back here, we had a short little break, and we sat right out there. We visited Gateway uh, on this side of it, and we watched the Christmas service. I watched the people that I know and love up here lead worship. We celebrated the birth of a savior while losing what would be the birth of our first. This child was slipping from our grasps in that very moment. That was the moment that I knew. That's, that's when I knew it was time for us to come home. I didn't have any more to give. I think God at that point, I felt like he's done what he's gonna do. And I'm not sure how to make any sense of it, but I know we're supposed to come home. So we came back in a million pieces. 
We packed up our things. We were hurting. Our heads were full of doubt. We were overcome with burden. But then something happened. One by one, gradually, each of you did something. You may not even know it. You said something. You offered us something. There were people that were helping us with groceries because we didn't have any way to, we were so low on income, finances, we didn't have anything, we just left. There were people that were offering us a place to stay, people that were loving on us, people that were letting us tell our story when it was appropriate, people that were listening and hurting with us and bearing their own scars. And I think what's most important is there were people who were just giving us the space. When I started to get back involved here at Gateway Community Church, I did it at a very slow pace. You guys started to see me here on Sunday mornings, but that was it. I was just doing Sunday mornings. And I would walk out here, and it never failed. This happened I don't know how many times. But one of you would see me in the hallway, and you'd say, hey, are you back? Nobody had any idea at this point, or some people did. They'd say, are you back? And I'd say, yeah. Sheepishly, I would say, yes, we are. And you would say, for good? And I would nod my head, the affirmative. And this, without fail, you'd say, well, we don't know what happened, but we're glad you're back. Nobody was pressing in to get the story. Nobody was like, oh, tell me all about it. That meant so much to me. I know I could have shared my story then if I wanted to, but you guys were interested in, in me and my heart and loving me and just saying, you know what, whatever happened, welcome back, because I felt like a failure because it didn't work out. That meant the world to me. And through all of those things, our burdens were lifted in such a way that Jenny and I, our marriage was allowed to be restored. That built in us a healthiness. I think we're stronger now at nearly 10 years than we ever were having gone through that. Being on the brink of divorce because we were so broken and numb that we didn't know if we could possibly love anymore. And here we are in love. And we have this child, Elliot, who is a product of that. And I would stand up here and say that my family is what it is today in large part because of you all. I think and I hope that you're getting the point. There wasn't any one of you that carried the burden. It was all of you. And that's what I want to encourage us to do. The ability to carry one another's burdens as a community rather than as individuals starts with getting to know one another. It starts with saying hello in the halls. It starts with, with getting involved in life groups, and it starts with just coming up and asking people, how do I get plugged in? How do I do this thing with you guys? We share this stuff almost every Sunday with good reason. I think there may be some that are tired of hearing that, like, oh, they're always telling me to get involved. Y'all, it's because we have seen that when people do life together, they do life together, all of it, the portion and the load. It could save somebody's life. We want us to be connected. Psalm 121 says, I lift my eyes up to the hills. Where will my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made the heavens and the earth. May we once again remember to look up and look out like I shared in the very beginning. May we once again be participants in a gospel that is both vertical and horizontal. And by doing so, may we together, you and I, fulfill the law of Christ by loving one another. I pray that if you're feeling that burden, whether you need somebody to help you carry it or whether you feel like somebody's asking you to carry it, we lock arms. We don't take it as this one-on-one -on -one thing. I don't know who told us that it had to be just us doing it. It's all of us. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for the restoration that you have through community.
God, I believe that we are called a body for a reason. There's not one of us that's supposed to do it. I thank you for the people that are already connecting. God, I thank you for all the stories that I heard about after first service. People that said we, had, we were dealing with cancer and this church surrounded us and our bills were taken care of. People that, that, that knew that maybe they'd gone through something tough earlier in their life and they said, I was alone. But when I went through this other tough thing here, there were people that surrounded me. And God, thank you that Jenny and I have a chance from our being restored by this community to share our testimony, to share our hurts and our pain, God, and to be able to pour into others. God, I pray that we can all do these things together, that we can look up, that we can marvel at your wondrous works, that we can look out, that we can be connected, God. We thank you for that. It's in your name. Amen. If you have a a burden today, thank you all. Thank you. Y'all really are wonderful people. You're incredibly kind. Um, It's been nerve-wracking to be up here, but uh, it's a blessing. And, you know, I want to say that that we normally have people that come up here and we'll pray for you if you're going through that stuff. Please come forward and pray. Otherwise, we have a first steps area right out there. I'm going to go out there and I'd love to shake your hand and get to know you. All right? Um, That's it, you guys. Welcome to your journey. Have a great day and God bless you. learn more about us, visit www.gateway-community.org. Welcome to your journey.